be sure to follow Send Me to Sleep on your preferred podcast player so you never miss an episode and a good night's rest. Good evening. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the world's sleepiest podcast. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to help calm your mind and send you into a peaceful night's sleep. I found another podcast that can help you relax during the day or fall asleep at night. It is called Sleep Whispers. Sleep Whispers is a hundred percent gentle whispering of bedtime stories, guided relaxations, and even fun trivia questions and interesting Wikipedia articles. You can search for the Sleep Whispers podcast in your podcast player, or simply click the first link in the episode notes. Now, let's get into tonight's episode. I'll be reading Alice in Wonderland, Chapter 10, The Lobster Quadrille, and Chapter 11, Who Stole the Tarts, by Lewis Carroll. So, let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 10 The Lobster Quadrille The Mock Turtle sighed deeply and drew the back of one flapper across his eyes. He looked at Alice and tried to speak, but for a minute or two sobs choked his voice, same as if he had a bone in his throat, said the Griffin, and it set to work shaking him and punching him in the back. At last the Mock Turtle recovered his voice, and, with tears running down his cheeks, he went on again. You may not have lived much, under the sea. I haven't, said Alice, and perhaps you were never even introduced to a lobster. Alice began to say, I once tasted, but checked herself hastily and said, no, never. So you can have no idea what a delightful thing a lobster quadrille is. No idea, said Alice. What sort of dance is it? Why, said the griffin, you first form into a line along the seashore. Two lines, cried the mock turtle. Seals, turtles, salmon, and so on. Then, when you've cleared all the jellyfish out of the way, that generally takes some time, interrupted the griffin, 
you advance twice, each with a lobster as a partner, cried the griffin. Of course, the mock turtle said. Advance twice, set to partners, change lobsters, and retire in same order, continued the griffin. Then, you know, the mock turtle went on, you throw the, the lobsters, shouted the griffin, with a bound into the air, as far out to sea as you can, swim after them, screamed the griffin, turn a somersault in the sea, cried the mock turtle, capering wildly about, change lobsters again, yelled the griffin at the top of its voice, back to land again, and that's all the first figure, said the mock turtle, suddenly dropping his voice, and the two creatures, who had been jumping about like mad things all this time, sat down again very sadly and quietly, and looked at Alice. It must be a very pretty dance, said Alice timidly. Would you like to see a little of it? said the Mock Turtle. Very much indeed said Alice. Come, let's try the first figure, said the Mock Turtle to the Griffin. We can do without lobsters, you know. Which shall sing? Oh, you sing, said the Griffin. I've forgotten the words. So they began solemnly dancing round and round Alice, every now and then treading on her toes when they passed too close, and waving their forepaws to mark the time, while the mock turtle sang this very slowly and sadly. Will you walk a little faster, said a whiting to a snail. There's a porpoise close behind, and he's treading on my tail. See how eagerly the lobsters and the turtles all advance. They are waiting on the shingle. Will you come and join the dance? Will you, won't you, will you, won't you, will you join the dance? Will you, won't you, will you, won't you, won't you join the dance? You can really have no notion how delightful it will be when they take us up and throw us with the lobsters out to sea. But the snail replied, too far, too far, and gave a look 
of Arskance, said he thanked the whiting kindly, but he would not join the dance. Would not, could not, would not, could not, would not join the dance. Would not, could not, would not, could not, could not join the dance. What matters it how far we go, his scaly friend replied. There is another shore you know, upon the other side. The further off from England, the nearer is to France. Then turn not pale, beloved snail, but come and join the dance. Will you? Won't you, will you, won't you, will you join the dance? Will you, won't you, will you, won't you, won't you join the dance? Thank you, it's a very interesting dance to watch, said Alice, feeling very glad that it was over at last. And I do so like that curious song about the whiting. Oh, as to the whiting, said the Mock Turtle. They, you've seen them, of course. Yes, said Alice. I've often seen them at din- She checked herself hastily. I don't know where din may be said the Mock Turtle, but if you've seen them so often, of course you know what they're like. I believe so, Alice replied thoughtfully. They have their tails in their mouths, and they're all over crumbs. You're wrong about the crumbs, said the Mock Turtle. Crumbs would all wash off in the sea, but they have their tails in their mouths, and the reason is. Here the mock turtle yawned and shut his eyes. Tell her about the reason and all that, he said to the griffin. The reason is, said the griffin. That they would go with the lobsters to the dance. So they got thrown out to sea. So they had to fall a long way. So they got their tails fast in their mouths. So they couldn't get them out again. That's all. Thank you, said Alice. It's very interesting. I never knew so much about a whiting before. I can tell you more than that if you like, said the griffin. Do you know why it's called a whiting? I never thought about it, said Alice. Why? It does the boots and shoes. The griffin replied very solemnly. Alice was thoroughly puzzled. 
does the boots and shoes, she replied in a wondering tone. Why, what are your shoes done with? said the griffin. I mean, what makes them so shiny? Alice looked down at them and considered a little before she gave her answer. They're done with blacking, I believe. Boots and shoes under the sea, the griffin went on in a deep voice, are done with a whiting. Now you know. And what are they made of? Alice asked in a tone of great curiosity. Souls and eels, of course, the griffin replied rather impatiently. Any shrimp could have told you that. If I'd been the whiting, said Alice, whose thoughts were still running on the song, I'd have said to the porpoise, Keep back, please, we don't want you with us. They were obliged to have him with them, the mock turtle said. No wise fish would go anywhere without a porpoise. Wouldn't it really? said Alice in a tone of great surprise. Of course not, said the Mock Turtle. Why, if a fish came to me and told me he was going on a journey, I would say, with what porpoise? Don't you mean purpose, said Alice. I mean what I say, the Mock Turtle replied in an offended tone. And the Griffin added, Come, let's hear some of your adventures. I could tell you my adventures, beginning from this morning, said Alice a little timidly but it's no use going back to yesterday, because I was a different person then. Explain all that, said the Mock Turtle. No, no, the adventures first, said the Griffin in an impatient tone. Explanations take such a dreadful time. So Alice began telling them her adventures from the time when she first saw the white rabbit. She was a little nervous about it just at first. The two creatures got so close to her, one on each side, and opened their eyes and mouths so very wide but she gained courage as she went on. Her listeners were perfectly quiet till she got to the part about her repeating, 
You are old, Father William, to the caterpillar, and the words all coming different, and then the mock turtle drew a long breath and said, That's very curious. It's all about as curious as it can be, said the griffin. It all came different, the mock turtle repeated thoughtfully. I should like to hear her try and repeat something now. Tell her to begin. He looked at the griffin as if he thought it had some kind of authority over Alice. Stand up and repeat. Tis the voice of the sluggard, said the griffin. How the creatures order one about and make one repeat lessons, thought Alice. I might as well be at school at once. However, she got up and began to repeat it, but her head was so full of the lobster quadrille that she hardly knew what she was saying, and the words came very queer indeed. Tis the voice of the lobster, I heard him declare. You have baked me too brown, I must sugar my hair. As a duck with its eyelids, so he with his nose, trims his belt and his buttons, and turns out his toes. When the sands are all dry, he is gay as a lark, and will talk in contemptuous tones of the shark. But when the tide rises and sharks are around, his voice has a timid and tremulous sound. That's different from what I used to say when I was a child, said the griffin. Well, I never heard it before, said the mock turtle, but it sounds uncommon nonsense. Alice said nothing. She had sat down with her face in her hands wondering if anything would ever happen in a natural way again. I should like to have it explained, said the mock turtle. She can't explain it, said the griffin hastily. Go on with the next verse. But about his toes... The Mock Turtle persisted. How could he turn them out with his nose, you know? It's the first position in dancing, Alice said, but was dreadfully puzzled by the whole thing, and longed to change the subject. Go on with the next verse, 
the griffin repeated impatiently. It begins, I passed by his garden. Alice did not dare to disobey, though she felt sure it would all come wrong, and she went on in a trembling voice. I passed by his garden and marked with one eye how the owl and the panther were sharing a pie. The panther took pie crust and gravy and meat, while the owl had the dish as its share of the treat. When the pie was all finished, the owl, as a boon, was kindly permitted to pocket the spoon. While Panther received knife and fork with a growl, and concluded the banquet. What is the use of repeating all that stuff? The Mock Turtle interrupted. If you don't explain it as you go on. It's by far the most confusing thing I ever heard. Yes, I think you'd better leave off said the griffin, and Alice was only too glad to do so. Shall we try another figure of the lobster quadrille? The griffin went on. Or would you like the mock turtle to sing you a song? Oh, a song, please. If the Mock Turtle would be so kind. Alice replied so eagerly that the Griffin said, in a rather offended tone, Hmm, no accounting for tastes. Sing her turtle soup, will you old fellow? The Mock Turtle sighed deeply and began, in a voice sometimes choked with sobs, to sing this. Beautiful soup, so rich and green, waiting in a hot terrine. Who for such dainties would not stoop? Soup of the evening, beautiful soup, soup of the evening, beautiful soup, beautiful soup, beautiful soup, soup of the e e evening, beautiful Beautiful soup. Beautiful soup. Who cares for fish, game, or any other dish? Who would not give all else for two p? Any worth only of beautiful soup. 
pennyworth only of beautiful soup. Beautiful soup. Beautiful soup. Soup of the e e evening. Beautiful, beautiful soup. Chorus again, cried the griffin, and the mock turtle had just began to repeat it, when a cry of, the trial's beginning, was heard in the distance. Come on, cried the griffin, and... Taking Alice by the hand, it hurried off, without waiting for the end of the song. What trial is it? Alice panted as she ran, but the griffin only answered, Come on, and ran the faster, while more and more faintly came carried on the breeze that followed them, the melancholy words, soup of the e-e-evening, beautiful, beautiful soup. Chapter 11 Who Stole the Tarts? The king and queen of hearts were seated on their throne when they arrived, with a great crowd assembled about them, all sorts of little birds and beasts, as well as the whole pack of cards. The knave was standing before them, in chains, with a soldier on each side to guard him, and near the king was the white rabbit, with a trumpet in one hand, and a scroll of parchment in the other. In the very middle of the court was a table, with a large dish of tarts upon it, They looked so good, that it made Alice quite hungry to look at them. I wish they'd get the trial done, she thought, and hand round the refreshments. But there seemed to be no chance of this, so she began looking at everything about her to pass away the time. Alice had never been in a court of justice before, but she had read about them in books, and she was quite pleased to find that she knew the name of nearly everything there. That's the judge, she said to herself because of his great wig. The judge, by the way, was the king, and as he wore his crown over his wig, 
Look at the frontispiece if you want to see how he did it. He did not look at all comfortable, and it was certainly not becoming. And that's the jury box, thought Alice, and those twelve creatures, she was obliged to say creatures, you see, because some of them were animals, and some of them were birds. I suppose they are the jurors. She said this last word two or three times over to herself being rather proud of it, for she thought, and rightly too, that very few little girls of her age knew the meaning of it all. However, jurymen would have done just as well. The twelve jurors were all writing very busily on slates, What are they doing? Alice whispered to the griffin. They can't have anything to put down yet, before the trial's begun. They're putting down their names, the griffin whispered in reply, for fear they should forget them before the end of the trial. Stupid things. Alice began in a loud, indignant voice, but she stopped hastily, for the white rabbit cried out, silence in the court, and the king put on his spectacles and looked anxiously round to make out who was talking. Alice could see as well as if she were looking over their shoulder, that all the jurors were writing down stupid things on their slates, and she could even make out that one of them didn't know how to spell stupid, and that he had to ask his neighbour to tell him. A nice muddle their slate'll be in before the trial's over, thought Alice. One of the jurors had a pencil that squeaked. This, of course, Alice could not stand, and she went round the court and got behind him and very soon found an opportunity of taking it away. She did it so quickly that the poor little juror, it was Bill, the lizard, could not make out at all what had become of it. So, after hunting all about for it, he was obliged to write with one finger for the rest of the day, and this was of very little use, as it left no mark on the slate. Harold, read the accusation, said the king. On this the white rabbit 
Pete blew three blasts on the trumpet, and then rolled the parchment scroll, and read as follows. The Queen of Hearts, she made some tarts, all on a summer day. The Knave of Hearts, he stole those tarts, and took them quite away. Consider your verdict, the king said to the jury. Not yet, not yet, the rabbit hastily interrupted. There is a great deal to come before that. Call the first witness, said the king and the white rabbit blew three blasts on the trumpet, and called out, First Witness. The first witness was the hatter. He came in with a teacup in one hand, and a piece of bread and butter in the other. I beg pardon, your majesty, he began for bringing these in, but I hadn't quite finished my tea when I was sent for. You ought to have finished, said the king. When did you begin? The hatter looked at the march hare, who had followed him into the court, arm in arm with the dormouse. Fourteenth of March. I think it was, he said. Fifteenth, said the March Hare. Sixteenth, added the Dormouse. Write that down, the King said to the jury, and the jury eagerly wrote down all three dates on their slates, and then added them up and reduced the answer to shillings and pence. Take off your hat, the king said to the hatter. It isn't mine, said the hatter. Stolen, the king exclaimed, turning to the jury, who instantly made a memorandum of the fact. I keep them to sell. The hatter added as an explanation, I've none of my own, I'm a hatter. Here the queen put on her spectacles and began staring at the hatter, who turned pale and fidgeted. Give your evidence, the king said, and don't be nervous or I'll have you executed on the spot. This did not seem to encourage the witness at all. He kept shifting from one foot to the other, looking uneasily at the queen, and in his confusion he bit a large piece out of his teacup instead of the bread and butter. Just at this moment, 
Alice felt a very curious sensation, which puzzled her a good deal, until she made out what it was. She was beginning to grow larger again, and she thought at first she would get up and leave the court, but on second thoughts, she decided to remain where she was. But on second thoughts, she decided to remain where she was as long as there was room for her. I wish you wouldn't squeeze so, said the Dormouse, who was sitting next to her. I can hardly breathe. I can't help it said Alice very meekly. I'm growing. You've no right to grow here, said the Dormouse. Don't talk nonsense, said Alice more boldly. You know you're growing too. Yes, but I grow at a reasonable pace, said the Dormouse. Not in that ridiculous fashion. And he got up very sulkily and crossed over to the other side of the court. All this time the queen had never left off staring at the hatter. And just as the dormouse crossed the court, she said, to one of the officers of the court, bring me the list of the singers in the last concert, on which the wretched hatter trembled so, that he shook both his shoes off. Give your evidence, the king repeated angrily, or I'll have you executed whether you're nervous or not. I'm a poor man, your majesty, the hatter began in a trembling voice, and I hadn't begun my tea, not above a week or so, and what with the bread and butter getting so thin, and the twinkling of the tea, The twinkling of the what? said the king. It began with the tea, the hatter replied. Of course, twinkling begins with a tea, said the king sharply. Do you take me for a dunce? Go on. I'm a poor man, the hatter went on and most things twinkled after that. Only the March Hare said, I didn't, the March Hare interrupted in a great hurry. You did, said the Hatter. I deny it, said the March Hare. He denies it, said the King. Leave out that part. Well, at any rate, the Dormouse said, 
the hatter went on, looking anxiously round to see if he would deny it too, but the dormouse denied nothing, being fast asleep. After that, continued the hatter, I cut some more bread and butter. But what did the dormouse say? One of the jury asked. That I can't remember, said the hatter. You must remember, remarked the king, or I'll have you executed. The miserable hatter dropped his teacup and bread and butter, and went down on one knee. I'm a poor man, your majesty, he began. You're a very poor speaker, said the king. Here one of the guinea pigs cheered, and was immediately suppressed by the officers of the court. As that is rather a hard word, I will just explain to you how it was done. They had a large canvas bag, which tied up at the mouth with strings. Into this they slipped the guinea pig, head first, and then sat upon it. I'm glad I've seen that done, thought Alice. I've so often read in the newspapers, at the end of trials, there was some attempt at applause, which was immediately suppressed by the officers of the court, and I never understood what it meant till now. If that's all you know about it, you may stand down, continued the king. I can't go no lower, said the hatter. I'm on the floor as it is. Then you may sit down, the king replied. Here the other guinea pig cheered and was suppressed. Come, that finished the guinea pigs, thought Alice. Now we shall get on better. I'd rather finish my tea, said the hatter, with an anxious look at the queen, who was reading the list of singers. You may go, said the king, and the hatter hurriedly left the court, without even waiting to put on his shoes and just take his head off outside, the queen added to one of the officers, but the hatter was out of sight before the officer could get to the door. Call the next witness, said the king. The next witness was the duchess's cook. She carried the pepper box in her hand, and Alice guessed who it was. Even before she got into the court, 
by the way the people near the door began sneezing all the time. Give your evidence, said the king. Shan't, said the cook. The king looked anxiously at the white rabbit, who said in a low voice, Your majesty must cross-examine this witness. Well, if I must, I must, the king said with a melancholy air, and, after folding his arms and frowning at the cook till his eyes were nearly out of sight, he said in a deep voice, What are the tarts made of? Peppers, mostly, said the cook. Treacle, said a sleepy voice behind her. Collar that dormouse, the queen shrieked out. Behead that dormouse. Turn that dormouse out of court. Suppress him. Pinch him. Off with his whiskers. For some minutes the whole court was in confusion. Getting the dormouse turned out and, by the time that they had settled down again, the cook had disappeared. Never mind, said the king, with an air of great relief. Call the next witness, and he added an undertone to the queen. Really, my dear, You must cross-examine the next witness. It quite makes my forehead ache. Alice watched the white rabbit as he fumbled over the list, feeling very curious to see what the next witness would be like, for they haven't got much evidence yet, she said to herself. Imagine her surprise when the white rabbit read out at the top of his shrill little voice the name Alice.